Oh, hey, Melissa. Hello. We're here. Not a dollar short. We Many are several dollars short. ahead, actually, today, because I think we figured out the issues with Ringer. And so this should be a high-quality, expertly crafted Frogs of War podcast like the wonderful listeners are used to, Melissa. Other than the fact that we're still the ones behind it, yes. This is true, but you can only do so much with technology to offset us, you know? This is true. This is true. It's not our fault, but it's not our, uh, it's not our problem either. This is true. So this is the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Treepwasser. And we're here to preview CCU's Saturday afternoon matchup against the University of Texas, a.k.a. the Blue Blood program in Texas, I guess, a.k.a. the recruiting standard in Texas, I guess, question mark. I don't AKA know. A.k.a. a team without a roster full of rejects, apparently. Yes, a.k.a. The, the one team out of two that will be playing in Austin on Sunday or on Saturday that lost to Maryland this year. So there's that. So well, there's that. So there's that. We will we will get into the roster of rejects and so much more as we uh, take the next hour of your lives to talk TCU, Texas, world around TCU, and of course the debut, the most important thing in the college football world, the de- debut of Baker Mayfield as the Browns starting quarterback, which is a thing that is happening as we speak too. So yeah, and he is just marching down the field for a whole hey, three points. Hey, if they're the Browns, yeah, you take that. You take that if you're the Cleveland Browns. You know what? He was he was better than Tyrod Taylor has been. Tyrod Taylor started like yeah. one for eight. I tweeted a picture. I tweeted a screenshot. Ty, Tyrod Taylor started one for eight from the field for two yards passing, and uh, I think Sam Darnold started two for wow. six with six yards passing. So this is Thursday night wow, football. That's what it. That's right what now. it's supposed to be. Hey, but we don't have to worry about Thursday night football. We don't send players to the NFL, according to the litany of fans who tried to defend uh, Barton Simmons. We send the players to, college, yeah, to win college football games. So, yeah, don't pay attention to the Browns starting strong safety yeah, too yeah. closely at all. Don't do that. Don't Definitely do that. not at the seventy-five offensive mm-hmm. tackles. Not that either. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. But, hey, Melissa, this is an opportunity for TCU on Saturday to bounce back after a loss to Ohio State last weekend that we have analyzed in the previous episode of this podcast. So if you're looking, folks, for an Ohio State recap, go to Podbean or iTunes or wherever podcasts are found and look for the last episode, episode 26, I believe. And you can download that one and listen to me and Melissa break down the Ohio State TCU game from last week. Melissa, Texas is back, I think. Oh, who knows? Finally. Because they beat USC. Yeah. And remember, they played in a national championship nine years ago. Yeah. Or no, sorry, this one was, what, 14 years yeah. ago. And USC was ranked. Against USC. Number 22 team USC, in the country. USC was ranked this week when they played. And Texas, to their credit, absolutely drilled them. Sure. After the Trojans jumped out to a 14-3 to lead. But I don't know how much that means. Um, you know, we've talked about the fact that, that I got to see USC play in person here a couple of weeks ago and they, mm-hmm. they took on a Stanford team that, that keeps finding ways to win, um, that will be hosting game day that, or not hosting game day, but playing in a game day hosted game at Oregon this weekend. Uh, USC is a bad football team. And I think most of the national pundits tend to agree with that. 
there's just not a lot that they do well offensively, and there's not a lot that they do well defensively. I give credit to Texas for bouncing back after a really slow start uh, and managing to to kind of create some points and, and give credit to Sam Ellinger, who had a pretty decent game. Um, and the Texas defense really stuffed a, a USC run game that, that hasn't been good all season but was just absolutely putrid in Austin last week. So uh, you have to absolutely look at this Texas team and say, well, that that's definitely the best game that they've played and, and not the worst team that they've played by any stretch. But it seems like potentially they've started to kind of get things together, and it'll be interesting to see if they carry that momentum into Saturday afternoon. So do you really think that Sam Ellinger is better than he was in 2017? so far through the first quarter of Texas this season because he's completing almost exactly the same amount of passes. For all of 2017, he completed just over 57% of his passes. This year, he's completing just over 57% of his passes. He made late-game bad decisions against Maryland. He did not play well in the second half against Tulsa in a game where Tulsa almost came back from a three-touchdown deficit. Now, he showed out a little bit against USC, but realistically, I mean, he had a pass out into the flat that Lil, Lil Jordan Humphrey, which is best name in college football, Absolutely. Uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey caught it probably three yards off the line of scrimmage, spun off of a defender, and then ran 44 yards for a touchdown. And then, you know, he did drop in a really nice pass to Jordan Moore over the middle of the field for a touchdown later in the game. But I mean, realistically, is he the same guy as he was last year? Because to me, he looks like he hasn't improved a whole lot. Well, and, and I think that, you know, you could say a lot of the same things about Sam Ellinger as a non-Texas fan is non-TCU fans could be saying about Sean Robinson other than having Sean having played a full season already. Um, you know, neither neither guy has, has shown themselves to be extraordinarily accurate, but is capable of making plays. Uh, Sean Robinson had 308 yards against uh, Ohio State, but most of that came in the short to mid-range passing game. And he did, you know, he found, you know, three chunk play, you know, down the field passes. Um, is Ellinger better than he was a year ago? Yeah, I mean, I think he is because he just looks more confident and more confident in the pocket and, and is making better decisions about when and how he runs the football. Um, is he a guy that you look at and say, man, this is, this is someone who can absolutely beat you with his arm. I don't think he's proven that yet. Um, and I think that TCU's challenge on Saturday is going to be, can you make him stay in the pocket, keep him from, you know, being as Gary Patterson said, a quarterback uh, running back, throwing the football, or do you allow him to kind of get loose, make plays with his feet and then find the open man because he does have something uh, that, that TCU doesn't have, and that is some massive wide receivers on the outside, something that the Frogs historically have struggled to contain at times. So um, I do think he's a better player than he was a year ago. Is he a guy that is going to strike fear into your heart as a defense? Probably not yet, but I think that he's starting to take an upward trajectory. Um, uh, I did a Q&A with Burn Orange Nation earlier this week, and, and Daryl Goodri- Goodridge, um, made a point that since if you take out the fourth quarter against Maryland when he had those two horrible interceptions, he's completed over 58% of his passes. He's completed or he's, he's, uh, thrown for over 650 yards and he has six touchdowns and no interceptions. And so he's shown that he's capable of playing well. What he hasn't shown is that he can play capable. He can play well when the game gets tight. And so it'll be important to put T- for TCU to put him in bad positions and force him to put the game on his shoulders because that seems to be when he struggles most. So it doesn't matter that he's shown some of the same bad late game tendencies as he did last year 
already this season? Well, we, we've really only seen him seen him do that once. He didn't play well against Tulsa, but he also didn't necessarily play poorly. Um, like, I don't know that I'd put that 100% on him. Like, you know, a lot of that goes on the defense, too. Um, I don't I don't necessarily think that, like I said, that, that all of a sudden Texas is this explosive offense that people are worried about. But I do absolutely think he's shown signs of improvement since his freshman season, whether it's improvement enough to where you have to start taking him in Texas very seriously as a, as a big 12 contender. I think that's something we'll find out on Saturday when for the first time all year he plays a real defense. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I, I guess we could say similar things about Texas's offense and Texas's defense, even that we were saying prior to the Ohio State game with TCU, where this was going to be Ohio State's biggest test of the season to, to this point, and TCU will be that for Texas as well. Uh, you know, I think I'm really interested in seeing, because you mentioned receiver size, and you're right, Texas does have some big bodies on the outside that, that can catch the ball and can get free. Jordan Moore as a freshman is a guy who is, you know, mm-hmm. I think just a lights-out player. A guy um, TCU did recruit pretty yeah, hard. Too, yeah. Know, but he's not a reject. He went to Texas. And so yeah, – <laughs> But, uh, you know, and we've talked about this leading into the season and a little bit last week as well, that TCU's secondary is getting bigger. You've Mm -hmm. got guys in the back now, like Jeff Gladney is over six feet tall. Noah Daniels is over six feet tall. And he had an incredible game last week. I can't trust that enough. And so, you know, I I don't know that moving forward, the size difference is going to be as much of an issue when you've got receivers that are like 6'2", 6'3". Now, if you get to Iowa State and they've got those two guys that are still six six, I don't know where they find all of these kids yeah. that are six six and just wide receivers. I, they I just grow them tall like the corn stalks out in oh, Iowa. Oh my goodness! Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the case. I don't know, but now I don't remember what I was saying. Uh, oh, the secondary. So I, you know, I, I, I think that TCU showed elite speed on Saturday night last week that the rest of the country now realizes, you know, this is probably one of the fastest teams, if not the fastest team in college football. Um, I found myself inadvertently watching the Longhorn Network earlier this week also. Oh, boy. And let me tell you. I didn't know you were a fan of throwback football games, but. uh, You know, I was flipping through, and I hadn't seen much of the TCU or the Texas-USC game yet, and I just was, like, clicking past ESPN. I said, oh, there's the Texas-USC game, so I turned it on. And just kind of had it on the background while I was doing some stuff around the house. And uh, thought that Texas looked better than USC pretty much throughout, even when USC got up 14-3 to on them in the first quarter. I thought, I, you know, I thought Texas looked like they were still in it. Um, you know, watch that game. Have some opinions about Texas that we can talk about in a minute. But the show that came on after made me realize that I was on the Longhorn Network. And it was <laughs> that... Rewind show with Tom Herman, where the play-by-play guy for Texas football games and Tom Herman sit in a dark studio in front of a big screen, and they break down the football game. And they get through this, and about halfway through, they start promoting, like, oh, in a, up, coming up next, we're going to be talking about Tom Herman's opinions of TCU and how, how he thinks they're going to defend the Frogs and blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll just stick around and see what Tom Herman has to say about TCU. And, you know, 35 minutes later, when they <laughs> actually start talking about TCU, it's as they're rolling the end credits. Are you kidding? And so I, you know, well, I've stuck around this long. 
And this is what Tom Herman had to say about TCU. Yeah, they're really fast. <laughs> yep. That was Good it. An- Good analysis, Mensa. Scouting report. Top that's, quality. That's a Mensa member right there. So I don't know what we're going to do, mostly because Tom Herman knows that TCU is really fast. Yeah, well, what's really going to be interesting in this whole thing is, and can we just take a moment and just say, poor Sean Robinson. This kid is about to start the fifth game of his career, and in all likelihood, three of them are going to have been played in abhorrent weather conditions. Like yeah. That's got to set some kind of record. 90% um, chance of rain on Saturday in Austin. We are looking at another sloppy, sloppy football game like we saw Friday night in Dallas. And what really sucks if you're a TCU fan or you're a TCU coach is that you look at the number one advantage that you have other than scheme and coaching is your speed. And then you put a sloppy is all get out field into play and it absolutely negates some of that advantage. And so I don't think it necessarily precludes TC from being successful or using their speed. But at the same time, there's a big difference between playing at Jerry world and seeing that speed and that indoor stadium on that, mm-hmm. that beautiful, perfect turf and then going out to Austin and having to play in the rain and slop. I mean, I do think that that, that is a big disadvantage for TCU in a way that it just isn't for Texas. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, I think the bigger issue to worry about in the rain is the one that we saw on those first two SMU possessions a couple Friday nights ago, and that is tackling. Oh, God, uh, yeah. I mean, if you remember the whiffs that TCU's defense had tackling mm-hmm. those first two possessions for SMU, and they were brutal. And, you know, oh, you could yeah. write, you could write that off as, Oh, that was the second game of the season and they were still kind of shaking off the rust of the offseason or whatever. But, you know, weather affects players and it affects, it affects foot speed and the way that you hit people, I think. And so, you know, yeah. um, that's another thing to look out for because for, you know, Texas has better athletes than SMU, especially if you look at recruiting rankings, but they're, they're not going to just, you know, they're looking at this team too. They're looking at this game too. And they're saying we haven't beaten TCU in four seasons. Yeah. You know, this senior class has never beaten TCU. This junior class has never beaten TCU. The sophomore class has never beaten TCU. These freshmen don't know better yet, but they're about to, I think. But this <laughs> team, I mean, Texas is, Texas has some pride. I mean, these fans have some pride in these players. You know, they work hard every day and I think they're going to come out and play hard. Um, but I do, I, and, and, you know, I think the weather is advantageous for Texas because it will slow TCU down a little bit. And last time TCU played in weather, they couldn't tackle. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think, I mean, we'll get to prediction time in a little bit. I don't think it hurts TCU too much in the long run, but it's something to look out for in a game where, uh, you know, TCU is coming off of a loss and they had some less than incredible things said about them in an article earlier this week that, you know, we can move into any moment now uh, that I think will motivate them. It's motivated their head coach for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if I, you know, frankly, because of that, if, if it's not raining on Saturday, I think TCU wins by 50 just to make a point. Um, <laughs> but the weather, I think definitely makes this game more of a question mark. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and to kind of move into that, you know, I, I think that, you get to this point in the season and you're always looking for motivation. And one of the things that Gary Patterson has always been able to use against Texas up until recently is, you know, going into the locker room and saying, all right, guys, how many of you had an offer from Texas? 
And up until maybe one or two years ago, as as was so eloquently pointed out by our friends at CBS College Football, uh, there weren't many of those guys. Yeah. You know, and if you look at, at some of the seniors that are playing big roles on that team, you know, those were guys that, that weren't going to get looked at by the big schools. But at the end of the day now, kids are choosing TCU over Texas. Yeah. And they take as much pride in destroying the flagship program in the, or the, the was flagship program in the state. They're going to have to watch because a and certainly coming up on their heels quickly. But, uh, you know, one of the, the state's flagship programs and, and saying, I chose to go to TCU and I'm still kicking your butt every year. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I'm sure Patterson has used that. He, I thought, said it very, very well in a tweet about how it's never worth, you know, disparaging a kid, especially for a click. Um, and, and that talking about his players like that really just wasn't okay. You know, we saw the pretty intense fan backlash and reaction. Um, at the end of the day, like, that's something those kids are talking about. I think uh, Jalen Rager said it best when he tweeted out just one word, reject. Uh, yep. th- these kids are paying attention, and, and they know what's being said. They know what Texas has said. Even Tom Herman's slip of the tongue after the press conference last week about enjoying this win over TCU. Mm-hmm. We know he meant to say USC. But but don't think that those kinds of things aren't aren't being posted in the TCU locker room. And if Patterson can get anything to get his his kids away from the Ohio State loss and start thinking about how they're going to beat Texas, he's absolutely going to do that. And man, they've fueled the fire well for him this week. He's got to be ecstatic. Yeah, he's definitely got more bulletin board material, and nobody does more with bulletin board material than Gary Patterson. Uh, you know, and mm-hmm. for, people, for people who are listening that may not be on Twitter or may have only heard this, like through word of mouth from someone else. Uh, the, I think the big thing that really set TCU fans and players and coaches off about this article on CBSSports.com by Barton Simmons is not the actual content, even though it is somewhat condescending at points. I think it's really just mm-hmm. it's it's the headline and it's the use of the word rejects. So the headline is TCU's roster of rejects looking like one of nation's best heading into rivalry game versus Texas. And so even the headline, if it doesn't use the word rejects, you know, is relatively complimentary towards TCU. And what Barton, uh, what Barton does throughout this article is he kind of lays out how, you know, recruiting rankings generally give you an idea of what teams are requiting, re- recruiting better, quote unquote, higher rated players. And typically a team that recruits better, higher-rated players is going to have, ultimately, a better team. There are some other factors that go into that. Obviously, coaching is one of them. Uh, you know, you mentioned stability a few weeks ago on the podcast as being a recruiting advantage, and, you know, stability helps a program as well. Uh, you know, lack of off-the-field issues, all of that kind of stuff contributes. But ultimately, better-ranked players will make you a better team down the road. That's not out of the realm of reason and realistically these recruiting sites as inaccurate as they can be with some guys do generally get it right when they're talking about quality of these high school athletes. Um, There's not a lot of wiggle room for kids that are late bloomers or for kids that just fall through the cracks in really talent rich States like Texas is one of those and Florida would be another. Um, But ultimately it is a relatively accurate and fair kind of thing. That's not what I have an issue with. You know, he talks about outliers and he names TCU as an outlier in this article saying that, you know, no program is a prisoner to its recruiting limitations 
And in TCU's case, those limitations may actually perpetuate the culture that has driven it to the top of the Big 12. So ultimately what he's saying is Gary Patterson takes the guys that don't get highly recruited, that not a lot of other big Power 5 programs really look at in, with, with much, um, you know, love, and he turns them into these freaking speed first hit you as hard as I possibly can warriors that just create this culture of TCU football that has a massive chip on its shoulder and will hit you in the mouth and wants to prove you wrong and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of that feeds into who Gary Patterson is, I think. So that's not even that wrong either. But the problem that I have is with the word reject because a reject is inherently a loser. A reject is inherently mm-hmm. someone that nobody wants. And if you're saying that a kid that is on a power five roster, a team that has won 10 plus games three times in the last four years, has a big 12 championship, just beat uh, Stanford in the Alamo bowl last year, just played on a national stage against Ohio state six days ago. You know, if you're telling, <coughs> if you're telling me that that kid <coughs> wasn't wanted, you're right, Jamie. I'm choking. I am. My mouth is very dry. Um, I'm not crying. I promise. <laughs> but if you're telling me that if you're telling me that that kid isn't wanted, then you're wrong because they were wanted. They were wanted by TCU, and that should be the standard, I think, for recruiting at this point, at least in this area, because TCU has been the team that has had the most success, and we have seen other schools start to keep an eye on guys that TCU offers. Yeah. Right. How frequently do we see a TCU, a kid pick up a TCU offer and then less than, you know, two days later, they've got a Texas Tech offer. They've got an Ole Miss offer. They've got an Oklahoma State offer. You know, they've got all of these other offers that are coming in now because coaches around the country look at who TCU is recruiting and they say, we want that kid because Gary Patterson wants that kid. Yeah. Especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. And so, and I tweeted about this a little bit today. I think what Barton Simmons article really does is it shows us that, uh, Maybe, just maybe, Texas shouldn't be the standard uh, scholarship to prove whether or not a kid is actually a quality player. Yeah. Because look at what TCU has done with quote-unquote less talent. Which I hate that. I hate that people say that all the time, and I just said it. Look at what they've done to Texas these last four years. They've won by an average of 30 points. I, you know... So I, I, I can see the people who are saying, like, well, he's, he's actually being really complimentary to TCU. No amount of complimenting TCU makes up for calling these kids rejects. They've done Absolutely. nothing to earn that. They've done yeah. nothing to deserve that name. Uh, and, and, you know, realistically, TCU was built on guys who didn't get any recruiting love. TCU wouldn't be where they are now without guys like Jerry Hughes and Andy Dalton. Yeah. Guys that came you know, in with a chip on their shoulder and, and play with a little bit of extra because they, they feel like they have to prove themselves. Yeah. And, and let's also, let's not overlook the fact that these recruiting rankings are devised by people that are making up recruiting rankings. And yeah, that's true. To some degree, they are absolutely valid. And, and for the most part that, you know, it makes sense. And, but they don't watch every single player. They can't watch every single player. And they're, they're evaluating these kids based on the competition level that they're playing. And so it's one thing to, you know, to, to look at a kid playing at an Allen or an Alito or something like that and to say that, oh, well, I've seen this kid play against high level players. And it's another thing to look at, you know, the thousands of other four and five star players that are playing against lesser competition. 
you don't really know until you level the playing field. And in high school, you know, you're, it's a real crapshoot, especially I yeah. think in the last couple of years as we've seen less and less people playing high school football. So, uh, yeah, you know, like Gary Patterson said, those are, those are their recruiting rankings, not his. And I would have a lot more trust in the man who is, is looking at his job and his program to evaluate prospects than somebody who is having to play politics at some point or another. Because at the end of the yeah. day, a lot of these recruiting rankings are playing politics and not all of them. You know, they, you know, I think that they do a, a really good job overall. But there's a lot more than goes into them than just the development of a player. And how many times have we seen a kid get an offer from Alabama and become a five-star, get an offer from TCU and become a four-star instead of a five-star? I mean, we've got two quarterbacks that were five-star prospects at one point or another that committed to TCU and dropped to four-stars. So I, I think yeah. it's just it's, – it's all, it's all politics. It's all game. And, and at the end of the day, Gary Patterson is watching these players play, and, and I don't know that there's anybody in college football that does a better job of figuring out what a kid can do and where he can do it best than Gary Patterson. And I think that's a really hard thing to argue against. Yeah. And you know, the, the other part of that too, is that TCU is because of their status and because of the, the success that they've had under Patterson starting to recruit better known, uh, bigger commodity players. Uh, sure. you know, you look at guys like, Darius Anderson or Ben or not Ben Vanegu, uh, Ross Blacklock or Corey Bethley or even Sean Robinson Jaylen and Justin Rager. Rogers, Jalen Rager. You know, you've got all these kids, um, you know, uh, Omar Manning before he left who had, who, who pretty much go anywhere. You know, I mean, Jalen Rager had offers to Notre Dame and Oklahoma and USC. And I mean, he could have gone anywhere. John Robinson had offers to Alabama. Yeah. Justin Rogers had offers to nine SEC schools and Harvard. And he chose TCU. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the the type of player that TCU is recruiting now is because of the hard work and the talent that went missed and unnoticed of the guys that came before them. And so, uh, you know, I think it is, I think it's important to note that a specific kind of player built this program and TCU's program will always rely on that specific kind of player. And that's the under-recruited lesser known commodity at the high school level. And Gary Patterson, like you said, is the most brilliant person in college football at finding that talent. Absolutely. Yeah. And Dean uh, did write a really good piece today for the, for the website, www.frogsaward.com. In case you were curious that just talked a little bit about this. Um, I'm glad I got at least a chuckle out of you there. Uh, and, and <laughs> you know, he, he made a really good point. Um, he says, uh, oh, where'd it go? Um, ult- he says, ultimately, it boils down to this. Uh, yes, TCU has capitalized on players who weren't necessarily being chased by every single blue chip program in the nation. Classifying those players, let alone the entire roster, as rejects, however, is an extremely poor choice of words. I think that's really what it just comes down to is that yeah. he, he could have, he could have written that exact same article. Barton Simmons could have and never used the word rejects and instead said, you know, less recruited players, which is true. Uh, they were recruited by fewer schools than most of the kids that went to Texas uh, and not gotten nearly as big of a backlash from TC but, fans. But I think, I, it, I think it actually would have been spread around and said, yeah, look at this guy. He's recognizing that we do an incredible job of finding guys that fit our system and coaching them up and teaching them the game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, let's just say if you're a TCU fan, 
Just be really, really glad he didn't. Oh, yeah. Just be really, really glad he screwed that up because at the end of the day, I, I do think that TCU players are paying attention, and I can guarantee you they practice just a little bit harder, and they want this one just a little bit more than they did. And, and you can say, oh, they give every – like, it's not hard to get up for Texas. We know no, that. But if not. you can give a kid an advantage – Let's let's give him just a little bit extra juice in the tank, and and I think that Barton's uh, absolutely accomplished that for TCU. So thanks, buddy. Yeah. We appreciate you, Barton. And realistically, too, Melissa, it's not probably too tough for Texas kids to get up for TCU these days. I think that's probably the case as well. I went over to uh, to Burn Orange Nation and uh, I did a Q and A with them, as you mentioned earlier, and. Uh, it was very interesting to see what the comments looked like because it wasn't that long ago that we were still little old TCU and they were reminding us about their championships and the earlier part of the decade and, you know, the all-time record. And if you go over to Burn Orange Nation now, you're seeing articles uh, being written about how uh, TCU is the purple overlord. You're seeing yeah. commenters talk about how Gary Patterson is a genius and what an amazing job he has and how he's had Texas's number. I mean, even last year going into that Texas game, it was, it was very much, well, they've just gotten lucky. We're about to turn it around and now it's, oh man, like this is the team that owns us right now and we've got to acknowledge how good they are. Like it is a, it is quite the turn of events for TCU fans to see, uh, Texas fans giving genuine and, and real respect to the Horn Frogs and their coaching staff. It's, it's a strange times we're living in, man. It really is. And, you know, it, I think, uh, it's been interesting interacting. I don't know how much you've done this. Obviously with Burn Orange Nation, you've done this, but with people on Twitter, but Texas fans, I, you know, I think they've finally, like you said, they've come to terms with the state of their program and they've been incredibly reasonable all week yeah, it's weird. on social media. So it's freaking me out. Yeah. Same. A little bit. Yeah. But, you know, right now it feels like Texas fans are just like any other fan base. They're frustrated sometimes. They're excited when they win, even, uh, but they can still like keep wins in context, which is nice. Yeah. Um, Very few of them think like, that beating USC was a big deal. Yeah, which I was surprised. I figured I would go over and I would see like all of these Texas fans just talking about how Texas is finally back and blah, blah, blah. But that was not the case, not at all. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it makes this game really interesting too, because you're seeing this still somewhat begrudging, but this real respect comes through from the fan base, which means that you know it's absolutely, uh, something that is being shared by the, uh, the coaching staff as well. And so I think in a way that we have never really seen, this Texas team is, is coming into this game knowing that TCU is a better football team than them and figuring that they're going to have to pull out all the stops to win. And which makes it a little bit scarier too, because now you've got to be more on the, the hook for trick plays or, or some of the strange things that happen in rivalry football games, because I think now for the first time, both programs are looking at this as a rivalry. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, there was a really, oh, uh, so I'm not going to say that backing up. There was an article today that was written by Mac Engel, uh, or maybe it was Oops. yesterday. Um, uh, what? <laughs> did you say, did you ask me who? Yeah. I who? Yeah. Uh, anyways, he quoted, um, former University of Texas defensive back Rod Babers, uh, who was talking a little bit about TCU being added to the Big 12. And uh, they, they talk about how nobody really saw uh, Texas dominating, or TCU dominating Texas uh, as soon as they stepped foot in the conference, blah, 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 all this other stuff. You know, he says, we thought we would dominate TCU and we'd only have to worry about Oklahoma. 
but we've been getting our blank whooped by TCU. Um, and so they go on and uh, eventually he gets asked, you know, like, what do you think about the game on Saturday? TCU's a three point favorite. Um, and Rod Babers, former Texas player says, if Texas can play TCU down to the wire, and I know this sounds like Aggie logic, but that will be a great sign for the team. Wow. He says that's where that that's where Texas is as a program. For a fan base that used to complain about going ten and three, the standard now is eight or nine wins and showing some improvement. And that's wow. that's the vibe that I've gotten from all of these Texas yeah. fans. Yeah, I think so. I mean, so. I think that that people are expecting TCU to be the better team on Saturday, but yeah. believing that they have hope. I think so. And, you know, I, I think TCU fans are expecting TCU to be the better team on Saturday. And I don't think that's an unrealistic, uh, expectation. Honestly. Yeah, not at all. You know, no. I mean, we've well, already kind of talked a little bit about the USC game and just Texas as a program and, and, you know, what we're expecting from them. And, and I do think that TCU is the better team. Well, and at the end of the day, if TCU legitimately wants to be a contender in the Big 12, this is one of those games you have to win. You can, you can brush yeah. off the Ohio State game. It doesn't impact your long-term goals in the conference. Like you had it, you let it slip through your fingers. Now you have to go back and beat a team that you have dominated for four years and that you absolutely should be able to beat on Saturday. Like there's really no question about it. If TCU wants to be a contender, they have to win Saturday. They don't have to do it yeah. in overly impressive fashion but they really should assert their dominance in Austin one more time. Yeah, hopefully they do. I think they do, regardless of whether. Um, I do think that the Frogs win. But, Melissa, let's get into some specifics. Let's talk about um, some matchups that you're looking forward to on Saturday. What's a key positional matchup that you think Frog fans should look out for? Well, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm most interested to see is, is how, how does Gary Patterson devise a plan to keep Sam Ellinger in the pocket? Mm-hmm. You know, he's not really been one to, to spy a running quarterback, but it's obvious that he's paid a lot of attention to what Ellinger can do with his feet. And so, uh, I, I'm kind of expecting, and I, and I said this in the Q&A with BON, that, that maybe Ennis Gaines plays a little bit more up on the line than we're used to seeing him. I mean, he's a guy that has the speed. Uh, to contain sideline to sideline. They can drop back into coverage, but it, it can really blow things up at the line of scrimmage as, as a blitzer or as just somebody kind of playing close. And we saw him play up tight on the line quite a bit against Ohio State as well. And so I'll be interested to see if, if he kind of takes that role where, again, not fully spying, but just playing up a little bit closer to the line and being more aware of, of what Ellinger is doing with his feet. And so uh, seeing how, how the secondary, how the linebackers, um, contain Ellinger, you know, how they, how they tackle in that weather, if they're able to prevent him from making big plays with his feet. That's, that's kind of my number one matchup that I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah, I definitely hear that. And, you know, it'll be really, I mean, Haskins is a good, we talked about this last week. Dwayne Haskins for Ohio State is a good mobile quarterback, but he doesn't run very often. And we saw no. that uh, on Saturday when he was executing the zone read and he, I mean, they set up that touchdown run of his perfectly because that was the only time he kept it and ran was yep. early in the thir- in the fourth quarter when he ran for their final score. Well, and he came off the field, and Nico Patterson or uh, uh, Gary Patterson lit Nico Small yeah. up. It was obvious that that was something specific they had talked about, and there was some kind of cue that that the defense missed on that because Patterson knew it was coming, and his defenders did not, and he let them know about it. Yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, I think that, that adjustment will be made. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Uh, you know, it's like the broken coverage against Southern. It's a teachable mm-hmm. moment and it'll get fixed. <laughs> um, but realistically, this is the best mobile quarterback that TCU will have seen. For sure. For today. sure. So you're right. That is a big matchup. For me, I really do want to see TCU's running game against Texas's defense. Texas is only allowing 109 rushing yards per game through their first three games of the season. That's pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. While TCU has run for over 200 yards a game this season. And so I really am interested to see how the offensive line can assert itself against the defensive line that's without Puna Ford, a front seven that's without Malcolm Roach because he broke his foot um, against USC and, and won't be playing for a while. Um, to really see what this team can do uh, in, on the ground because you've got, especially if it's going to be raining and it's going to be mm-hmm. crappy weather conditions, you know, you're going to have to lean on Shea and Darius Anderson. Sean Robinson is going to have to make plays with his feet. And I think after the offensive line kind of got baptized by fire last week against Ohio state, I think they're going to come out and they're going to get really, uh, they're going to, they're fine. They're going to find a lot of success. I think blocking Texas's uh, defensive line and, and linebackers. Um, yeah. because it's just not the same quality of, of a front seven as we saw against Ohio State last week. And realistically, Absolutely. you know, the line – I mean, they gave up a few big sacks and a few big uh, – there were a few big breakdowns along the offensive line. But realistically, that line held up about as good as you could have hoped for last week. Um, and I think that they're going to show out this week against Texas to the tune of uh, opening up things for Darius Anderson – to have another 150-plus yard rushing game. And I think that's going to be the key is a healthy Darius Anderson doing what mm-hmm. he does. Uh, that mm-hmm. He's been a difference maker against Texas on more than one occasion, so him doing that again would be huge. Uh, another another matchup that I'm really interested to see is Texas is, is putting out a really, really young secondary, mm-hmm. but an incredibly talented one. I mean, every single guy starting in that secondary is a four- or five-star recruit. A couple of them were the number one defensive prospects in their class. And so uh, to see how Jalen Rager and Kevontae Turpin and Jalen Austin and Dylan Thomas, who had a great game on Saturday, uh, how those guys match up against that Texas secondary and how Sonny Cumbie tries to exploit some of those weaknesses will be absolutely fascinating. Um, one thing that I don't think we've really talked enough about just, just as a whole is is the game plan that, that TCU had for Ohio State and yeah. how comfortable yeah. Sonny Cumbie and Curtis Looper made Sean Robinson early how they played not only with tempo, but they were giving him very short, very completable passes and just using the short passing game almost as an additional running game. And so mm-hmm. against an experienced secondary, a talented secondary like Ohio State, those guys were wrapping up and making tackles, but throwing the youth and the conditions and, and everything that, that TCU's wide receivers have learned over the last three weeks of the season, it could be really interesting to see if they can get the, the ball in the hands of their receivers in space, if they can make some more people miss. Because that was... One thing that we were kind of missing is that there wasn't a whole lot of yards after catch except on a, a couple of those big plays. But I think that they can really exploit that uh, on Saturday to, to turn those three- and four- and five-yard passes into 10-, 15-, and 20-yard gains. Yeah, absolutely. And I included this chart in my quick look for Texas that, went, that ran earlier this week. Texas has given up 13 plays to opposing offenses that have gone for 20 or more yards, and 10 of those have been passing plays, including wow. two – uh, let's see, the four against Maryland that went for longer than uh, 20 yards, including a 65-yard touchdown pass and a 20-yard touching p- touchdown pass, uh, a long passing touchdown against Tulsa that went for 35 yards, another one that went for 48 that got a, a first down, uh, and then, yeah, four 
passing plays from USC that went for longer than uh, actually the shortest one there was 29 yards. The rest were over 40. So you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, Texas has uh, a weakness in its secondary. Um, they're relying on some guys that they've relied on for the last few years who TCU has exploited, like, uh, you know, Chris Boyd comes to mind as one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely agree. I think that especially if you put these TCU wide receivers in space, uh, good things can pro- will probably happen for the Horn Frogs on Saturday. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so the second one for me, I think, is, uh, you know, can TCU's secondary play at the same level that they played last Saturday? Because that was arguably for me the best that I've seen TCU's defensive backs play in a significantly long time. Uh, yes. they were, they were per- almost perfect in coverage when it came to getting to the receiver at the same time as the ball. You know, Noah Daniels did that incredibly well. Um, and, and batting passes away and creating, uh, situations where receivers for Ohio State were dropping passes. Um, you know, they were great in coverage, I think, on Saturday. And so seeing that again and seeing seeing them uh, able to sustain that a little bit from week to week uh, would be huge, I think, for this team, especially as you head into, um, you know, you have you have Iowa State next and then you've got a bye week and then you really start to, to head into the significant meat of your schedule. So getting some some momentum going back there wouldn't be a bad thing either. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I agree. I think that we've got to give a ton of credit to TCU secondary. I mean, there were a couple of breakdowns in coverage, which you're going to see, but at the end of the day, those guys really stepped up. Um, what we saw Nico Small do and Ennis Gaines do, along with Noah Daniels, who has it's just been an absolute revelation for this mm-hmm. team defensively. This this is a fun group to watch. They play fast. They play aggressive. They hit hard. Um, but they're also, you know, they're, they're very cognizant of their roles, and I think they do a good job of, of – sticking with their jobs and executing them. Yeah, absolutely. And they're getting bigger and they're not losing a step. Yeah. Which yeah, I think is, is, is pretty important to think about. Uh, what about picks to click, Melissa? Who are, who's your first pick to click on Saturday? Whew, I, you know, this is going to be an interesting one. Um, but, but I have to go with, with the guy who has been a one man Texas Longhorn killer and who was frustratingly quiet last week. And we saw him pounding the football and, and pounding the ground after just missing a couple of lanes, and that's Kevontae Turpin. Uh, mm-hmm. He has lit the Longhorns up for the past four seasons, including his his breakout party as a true freshman when he scored, I think, four touchdowns in three different ways. Uh, so I fully expect this to be the kind of game where Kevontae Turpin asserts himself and, and reminds people who he is and why he's one of the most dangerous players in college football. Very nice. Yeah, that would be awesome to see him have a big game. That would be incredible. Uh, I think for me, the first one is, is Darius Anderson. Uh, you know, you talk about Longhorn killers. This kid almost actually physically <laughs> killed a guy in Texas's secondary <laughs> last year with the, just the shimmy that he put on him and the guy yep. just buried himself basically in, in yep. harder. Uh, I would love to see Darius back up his Ohio State performance with another incredible performance on yep. Saturday. Um, because I think he has, especially with Rodney Anderson out at Oklahoma, I think he has a chance to assert himself as the best running back in the Big 12. Um, and a big, a big performance against Texas on Saturday afternoon in front of a national audience will help do just that. So I, I, I want him to have another 150 rushing yards and another, a couple more touchdowns on the night. Have we seen him in his career have back to back 100 yard games before? I don't think so. Let me look that up. That's a good question. 
Yeah, I think this this has been an opportunity for him because what he had last year was, you know, he would have he had that game against Oklahoma State, which was his his breakout party, and then he was quiet for a couple of weeks, and he had another big game, and then he was a little bit quiet. So it'd be nice to see him put together kind of that consistency and have those back to back big games. Um, while you're checking into that, do you have that yet? Um, Otherwise, I'll go to my to, Let's see. So last year he did not. He only had two games where he ran for over 100 yards in 2017, which is surprising. He got uh, above 90 a couple of times, but he had 106 rushing yards against Arkansas. He obviously had the 160 and three touchdowns against Oklahoma State, which was his big coming out party. And then after that, uh, he was dinged up a little bit, right? And so he didn't play much. And then uh, he was out the last four games of the season. Um, And so he has only had, uh, you know, he had one 100-yard rushing game, and that came against Texas in 2016. He had the two 100-yard games uh, in 2017, and he had the one last week against Ohio State. So, you know, it's about that time for Darius Anderson yeah. as a junior. It's about that time to start stringing some really good performances together, and I think it happens for him on, on Saturday. Absolutely. Uh, my next pick to click is is a guy who who has been primed for a big breakout. We've seen him make some huge plays, and then we've seen him whiff on a couple of plays as well, uh, and that's Garrett Wallow. Mm, he yeah. has been so close to being a difference maker in each game that he's played, and he's looked a little bit better each time. I think that this is the game that we see him force a turnover or pick off a ball or, you know, create one of those slobber-knocking hits that, that causes a fumble. I think this is going to be a big-time Garrett Wallow game where we're going to see him correct some of his mistakes that he's made early as far as whiffing on tackles and just really be, you know, a, a 10-tackle, 11-tackle, force fumble or interception kind of ball game out of Garrett. Oh, that would be incredible. That kid is a player. You know, they're comparing yeah, like him, him. Uh, to Jason Phillips for a reason, y'all. So, yeah. you know, that, that kid is exciting to watch. I think for me, it's another guy who – uh, has, you know, people haven't talked too much about really this year at all. Uh, and that's Ridwan Isahaku. Uh, you know, mm. he was a starter last year. He had incredible plays last year throughout the season. Uh, he and in his gains, uh, kind of, you know, both from that free safety spot were just ruining people. And this year he had to move over, uh, due to injuries. Um, and because just because in his gains has stepped up in such a big way and we really haven't heard much from him. You know, he was away from the team for a little bit. He came back in the middle of fall practice and, uh, just we haven't heard much from him. And I think that Saturday afternoon is an opportunity for him to remind people that he's still here, uh, and, and mm-hmm. to remind the Big 12 that, yeah, Ennis Gaines and Nico Small and all these other guys on defense might get most of the talk. But realistically, there are, are very few, if any, weaknesses in this TCU secondary. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a great pick, and it'd be awesome to see him. You know, I think he's he's probably just now really getting into game shape, so it would be great yeah. to see that happen for him on Saturday. Absolutely. Very likable kid. Very easy mm-hmm. to root for. Let's get to some news and notes around the around the country. Did you know, Melissa, that Mike Gundy likes smoothies? I did know that because Dean included that in his excellent weekly piece around the fort. But if you missed uh, Beyond the Fort from Dean, you can uh, maybe Jamie can fill us in a little bit on uh, Coach Gundy's smoothie obsession. I sure can. Let me pull up that article really quickly and uh, vamp while I do that. So uh, in his post-game press conference after Oklahoma State laid the wood to Boise Yeah, State, we are not talking enough um, about Oklahoma State. They look just, scary. Just absolutely thumped them. Mike Gundy rolls out to his post-game press conference with his mullet and his swagger and a <laughs> big old 
smoothie. Um, it was a tropical smoothie cafe smoothie. And he, um, was just stirring it around with his straw while he was taking questions, slurping away at it, scooping the leftovers into his mouth with his straw, uh, commenting on, you know, how he wished it would have some, it, he wished it had vodka in it cause it might even taste a little bit better then. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, that guy, if he's not representative of his whole team right now and just the confidence that they have coming off of that thumping of, of Boise State, uh, you know, I don't know what, but they, they, gosh, they looked good, and Gundy sure had some swagger about him after that. Well, and, and you know what's going to build them up with some good karma is Gundy likes his smoothies so much that he wanted the rest of the uh, world to experience them, and so for the press corp gathered on his Weekly uh, little media session, he brought smoothies for all of the media and the reporters. So, Gary, if you're listening, and we know you are, hey, we like smoothies too, man. I am a big smoothie fan. Yeah. I would, love, I would love a smoothie, say, while we were helping Gary watch film. Yes, yeah, instead of popcorn, smoothies. I would, I'll, I'll buy them. You tell me what wow. you want. Gary, tell me what you want. I'll buy us some smoothies we can watch and, film together. And, and Gary, if you want the vodka, we can help you out with that too, buddy. Just roll, roll right over to King's Liquor. <laughs> I don't They're know not what a that is. For us, but yeah, <laughs> not <yet>. either. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple other headlines from around the country. Notre Dame apparently has a quarterback controversy. Oh, really? They have a quarterback. Yeah. I didn't even know. They have two, which I guess means that they have none. Um, yeah. Ian Book and Brandon Winbush are both going to play against Wake Forest. Interesting. So you, you know when you're playing Wake Forest, you've got to bring out the big guns at quarterback. Yeah. You know, it's, it's odd, though, right? Notre Dame is 3-0. and um, And Wimbush has looked pretty good, I thought. At least he looked good against Michigan. I haven't really paid attention to them since that week one game. So I, uh, I would say that yeah, Notre Dame is a very non-confident 3-0 and right now. Like, this was a team that had playoff aspirations and – despite the fact that they're winning, has not looked necessarily like a playoff team yet. So shaking things up when you're winning is a little bit of a dangerous move to make, especially if you're Brian Kelly and you have a penchant for losing your team. Mm -hmm. But it'll be very interesting to see uh, how the team responds to this little quarterback controversy in the middle of the season. Yeah, it's interesting. You just don't see that from undefeated top-ranked teams very often. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, Some... TCU-related news, Ohio State's Nick Bosa uh, had surgery on Thursday to fix a core muscle injury, and there is no timetable for his return. Wow. That's going to be a, the end of Bosa's collegiate career. That's a huge loss, too, for Ohio yeah. State. You know, as good as their defensive line was, and we witnessed that firsthand, that whole thing clicks because of Bosa. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So that's a bummer. Yeah. That's a big loss. Well, and you hate to see it, like, you hate to see a kid like that who is so good and so fun to watch uh, lose out on his what is his last season of college football. And so that that is certainly disappointing. Um, say what you want about Ohio State, but at the end of the day, like the Bosa family has always been, those are class act players. They do things the right way. Um, it's, it's a bummer to see him go out with an injury and at just three games into his last season. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I don't really foresee this affecting his draft stock, draft stock too much, but that's got to be, you know, yeah. in the back of his mind at this point is like, what do I have to do to get right for like the combine yeah. and 
and for team workouts and all that kind of stuff as he's yeah. trying to get drafted. Yeah, and that that's a – I mean, Ohio State's still a team with, with legitimate playoff aspirations, and you can't lose – you know, as good as their line is, you cannot lose the possibly the best defensive player in college football and and not have that affect your team negatively. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, TCU had a game plan specifically for that guy. Yeah. You know, and it works to an extent on Saturday. Um, but now other teams don't have to worry about him. And that does, that yeah. does change the way that offenses are going to plan for Ohio State now. Absolutely. Um, did you know that the great fans of Nebraska and their football student athletes deserve a full schedule, Melissa? Oh boy. Bill Mose, their athletic director said that in a statement released on Thursday. Wow. Um, because they were trying to find a makeup game for their game that got rained out against Akron. Hmm. And, you know, it's hard to find schools late, uh, especially, uh, you know, like a month and a half before the game makeup game would need to be played. And so they found a replacement, wildly enough. Uh, for their bye week on October seventh, on twenty seventh, do you know who they're going to be playing? I do not, and I cannot remember. Faded breath. Their fans deserve this. Melissa. Oh no! Their fans deserve to see Nebraska playing Bethune Cookman. Jeez, they deserve it. Paying to play Bethune Cookman, a hefty yeah. salary, I'm sure. They they deserve to see their team. Pay eight hundred thousand dollars to Bethune Cookman wow. to fly up there and play them on October twenty seventh. I mean, if you're a Nebraska's fans and you've already watched them lose to Troy, you're probably not feeling great about them playing even Bethune Cookman, right? Like, there's got to be a little bit of a fear of how that could end up for you, just a little bit. A little bit, probably not yeah, a mean, whole Troy, lot, but Troy's a good, great football team. I mean, they they absolutely are a legitimate threat, but but still, that's. That seems a little bit senseless, but all right, Nebraska, you get your extra game in. Good for you. Yeah. They might—they probably figured they need it to be bowl eligible. The way things yes. are going for them, they might. Yeah. Uh, have they played another FCS school though? Because if they've played two, only one counts towards bowl elig- eligibility. Oh, that's true. That is true. I don't, know. I don't know their schedule off the top of my head, but anyways, moving along. My last question in this section before we move to making some picks and looking at the Big Twelve schedule ahead this week. Does Alabama fail to cover this season? What's their spread for Saturday? 20, 21? 25. 25? I think they're going to cover this weekend. I, I hate- don't think they, <sighs> I don't think they win by fewer than three touchdowns at any point this season. I think that's probably fair, but they'll be favored by more than three touchdowns most often. Oh, I don't for, know. Yeah. I also have seen, we've seen this before, this Alabama team, the biggest struggle that Nick Saban has is keeping his guys interested. And when you have the target on your back every single week, it's not impossible to believe this team will, will slip up. I mean, these are still, despite the fact that it's a football factory down there, these are still young men. They're college kids. They have things going on in their life. It's not inconceivable that even as good as Alabama is, as low as, as they are this year, that they won't they won't drop a game somewhere this season. It would not surprise me to see Auburn beat them, uh, to see um, you know potentially maybe even a Mississippi State has always played them very very tough. They're gonna be in a nail grinder at least once this year and, and potentially more than that. Like it's just gotta wear you out having people come at you with their very best shot week in and week out. So I, I do think that somebody is 
is going to get close or potentially knock them off just once. It won't stop them from winning a national championship, but it, it could make things interesting. The old nail grinder. Yeah, I, I think I nail biter is probably what I was looking for. There, <laughs> it's been a long week, Jamie. It's been a real long week. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Uh, so let's start making some picks. Let's go through the Big 12 uh, schedule for Saturday, Melissa. Uh, first off for the Big 12, 11 o'clock, Iowa State, 0-2 after a loss to Iowa and then hanging tough with Oklahoma but falling short in Week 2. Uh, they play Akron, who is 2-0 uh, and looks pretty good doing it. Yeah, it's not going to matter. Like, as good as Akron has looked, I don't think it's going to matter against Iowa State. This is a team that, that is, has found a quarterback that, that seems to work for them in Zeb Nolan, and I think that they go ahead and get that first one of the season. I don't know. They, Akron beat Northwestern last week. Baker you know, Mayfield just threw a bullet. I just saw that. And that Jarvis, was, Jarvis Landry blessed that secondary member. Wow, he blessed he, it bless hard. Him. That just, wow, what Bless a play. Him. That was a God, dart. he's going to be good, and it's going to be so annoying. He's going to be so good. I'm going to have to um, mute yeah. Crimson and Cream. Yep. Sorry, guys. Love you guys. Go away. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think that the Akron did, like, I mean, okay. Ohio State beat TCU, right, and, and is legitimately a great football team. But the rest of the Big Ten, do you really trust any team in that conference other than Ohio State? I mean, who gives you confidence? What team other than Ohio and even Ohio State looked real beatable? Penn Is there State. a single team? I don't. Penn State probably. I don't trust that. They almost lost to Appalachian State at home. Yeah. You cannot say that you have utter and complete confidence that Penn State. Is, is going to consistently win games they're supposed to win. Oh, well, if, if and not has, lose one that they shouldn't. If it has to be utter and complete confidence, then there's only one team that gets that for me, and that's Alabama. I'm completely yeah, well, confident true. that Alabama doesn't lose this year. But, well, but, but, but in the Big Ten, I think the biggest challenge to Ohio State is absolutely Penn State. But yeah. I don't think that necessarily means that we should expect Akron to be beating other Big Ten teams. Yeah, maybe not. But, like, as much as I like Northwestern and, and love Pat Fitzgerald, like, I don't know that they're the type of team that, that strikes fear into your heart. And, and sure, like, losing to Akron, like, that's not something that you expect to happen very often. I don't think it's necessarily because Akron is a giant killer. I think that they killed a giant on one weekend, and I think Iowa State has no problems getting the W this weekend. Okay, I agree. I think Iowa State wins. I just wanted to push you a little bit there. And how much you up wide right, Natty Light. Moving on, 2.30 in the I afternoon. I do love those guys. Yeah, they're good guys. I'm just disappointed that we they don't have a one chip to eat for next oh, two weeks. Oh, yeah, just just to, to fill that gap mm. in, because I would hate for people not to know. So our friends from Wide Right Natty Light will be in town for the TCU-Iowa State game coming up on Saturday the 29th at 6 p.m. And so we'll have the privilege of getting to hang out with some of those folks uh, at some point. We will also have the privilege of doing a live Facebook Live podcast at the post game, featuring some of our friends from Wide Right Natty Light and also, most importantly, featuring Jamie devouring a delicious one-chip challenge going back to the first Oklahoma game from 2017. So make sure that you put that on your calendars, that you have that locked up. You're going to watch the suffering. You're going to want to watch the suffering live and and on the Facebook and other channels next a week from Saturday. It, uh, it's going to hurt me. Yeah, I do actually hurt you. Like I, I do feel for you. I hurt for you. I'm not going to do it with you, but I do hurt for you. It's going to be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. I'm just going to cry a lot. 
yeah, on so it's Facebook okay. Live. Men, you know, being tough with being uh, in touch with your emotions just makes you stronger. It, it just reminds me of that when I'm in the middle of that. I'll bring the milk. Don't worry, buddy. Uh, so Kansas State travels to Morgantown this weekend oh. to face West Virginia. Uh-oh. The Mountaineers have not played in two weeks because their game last week against NC State got rained out. But I don't think that keeps them from just laying the hammer down on the Wildcats yeah. this week. Kansas State's just not good this year. They're not. That makes me sad because who doesn't love them, the Wizard? I'm I'm starting to like him less and less. Like, I still have a ton of respect for the guy. But the way that he's kind of holding Kansas State hostage with this whole my son needs to coach after me kind of thing yeah. is, is a little messed up. No, I, it's, I don't necessarily disagree with that, and it's something we should absolutely uh, talk, talk about further when we get into the Kansas State game here in a couple mm-hmm. weeks. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to disagree that that situation has gotten a little untenable up in Manhattan. Um, I don't know that it would make a difference this season or not. Uh, I actually got in a conversation with a friend of mine who, who went to Kansas State if uh, Gary Patterson or Bill Snyder would retire first. Um, <laughs> and, and it was close. <laughs> Um, but, but I think, I think that, uh, that Kansas State just doesn't have it in the tank. And I think that, uh, West Virginia has got something to prove after having to take an extra week off and we'll come out pretty fired up and, and take care of business easily at home. Yeah, I think so too. I'm excited to see these guys back on the field again. I, uh, love me some David Sills, Melissa. Oh, did, did you know, Jamie, did you know that David Sills was originally recruited as a quarterback at USC when he was 14 by Lane Kiffin? I I think I've heard that somewhere. Maybe yeah. I read that in a book once. I think so. You know what? You know what? Barton Simmons did an article on it. It was great. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> what other games we've got coming up? Uh, the game that everybody's going to be keeping an eye on that on uh, this week, just like they kept an eye on Kansas and Rutgers last week, Melissa. Yes. Uh, go Jayhawks, Rock Chalk. Um, Kansas travels to Waco. Battle of two and one teams. Baylor looked terrible against Duke in their backup quarterback. Charlie Brewer left with an injury in this game. Kansas, uh, pounded Rutgers, I think is an appropriate term there. They beat the brakes off of Rutgers on Saturday. Uh, is there any way that Kansas actually wins this game? I, yes. I think Kansas is not terrible this year. And I'm a long way from telling people to watch out for Kansas, um, as, as our friend Joey Galloway did last week. Um, well, but, you know, Kansas is playing his 2017 Big 12 champion. That so is true. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. Um, I, I Baylor's going to win this game, right? Like Baylor is going to win this game at home. But. Man, I think I picked Kansas in our weekly picks, and I'm going to stick with it because these Jayhawks have something going. And you got to be kind of happy for Doug Meacham um, after seeing the saddest man in history after uh, TCU, I think, allowed like negative seven yards or something to Jayhawks in Fort Worth last year, and seeing poor Doug just sitting on the stairwell. Uh, I'm yeah happy. Too sad to even eat pizza. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that Kansas is playing well. I hope it ends. You know, well mm-hmm. before we head to to uh, Lawrence, but it's it's kind of cool to see to see the Jayhawks not being completely disrespectable and and bolstering the bottom of the Big Twelve a little bit. Good job, good job on you, Rock Chalk. Maybe their football success will mean that they won't be as good at basketball this year. That'd be great. Maybe. So, is it more likely? Tell me which one of these scenarios is more likely. 
Kansas finishes the season two and ten, or Kansas wins more than four games this year. Oh, Kansas wins more than four games. You think that's more likely than them not winning again? I do. I I think I I said I'm. I don't. I don't know that I believe they're going to beat Baylor, but I'm going to go ahead and pick them to beat Baylor this weekend and win three in a row. And they're they're gonna beat somebody they shouldn't. They're gonna knock off Kansas State. Or maybe, I mean, Texas Tech is playing really, really well right now on offense, but maybe Texas Tech. I, I think they can get to four. I really do. Um, I just hope to God it's not against us. Um, I'm going to put this poll on Twitter and see That's what the fans one, yeah. say. I'm going to tweet it from my account. So, so um, I'm, ass- I'm assuming that you believe the former is more likely than the latter. Yeah, I absolutely think that Kansas will could very well still go winless in the Big 12 this year. Sure. Uh, yeah, Rutgers is probably the worst team in Absolutely. power five. It can't, Rutgers is the worst power five team. Yeah, no, for sure. Out there. And they're probably worse than about a dozen, uh, at least a dozen G5 schools, if not more. And they might be worse than one or two FCS schools. Like they are, uh, so bad. I just, I, I will say this. If, if Kansas wins this weekend, I will guarantee four wins. Oh my God. Yeah. Kansas wins this weekend. I'm going to guarantee they get to four and their fourth win is going to be Kansas state. Sorry. Friends in purple. I don't think I will that, not that, bet that would be hilarious. On it. Yeah. I will not bet a one trip challenge on it, but we'll think of something. But yeah, okay. they win Saturday. I'm going to guarantee that fourth win. All right. That's dangerous, but we'll do it. Uh, other, other games around the Big 12 this weekend? Uh, Let's see. Well, we've got Army and Oklahoma on pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I thought that maybe that was a typo, but no, they are playing on pay-per-view. Texas has their own network to show reruns of the 2008 or 9 or whatever year it was, national, four national championship. And meanwhile, Oklahoma's playing on pay-per-view. What a world we live in. You know, they do one pay-per-view game every year. Oh, that's Oklahoma like does. Huh. Um, and, you know, it's just a bummer that it's this one. Yeah. I would have, pre- I would have honestly probably preferred it to be the FAU game. For sure. I, I bet FAU probably wouldn't agree to that, but I mean, I don't, I want, I kind of want to watch this game. I mean, it's army. It's, you know, it's, it's one of the military schools. It's, OU, I want to see Kyler Murray play. Sure. It's after the TCU Texas game. It's then starting until six. Uh, but I'm not going to pay money to watch it. Yeah, no, definitely not. I'm just not going to do that. So that's a bummer. We'll just, we'll have to read about it, I suppose. Uh, another game starts at that time that I am interested in seeing just because I don't really know what one of these teams is yet. Uh, but Texas Tech goes to Stillwater after putting up 62 points on Houston. To see if they can knock off Oklahoma State, who, as we've already mentioned in this episode, just thumped Boise State last week. Yeah, this is a fascinating game. Um, it's one of those games that screams like old school Big 12 shootout, which means that neither team is going to crack 20 points. Um, but I, I think <laughs> I predicted Oklahoma to like crest 70, Oklahoma State to crest 70 this weekend. So, uh, it's, it's going to be really, really interesting to see if, uh, Al, the Allen Bowman machine keeps rocking and rolling like they have been against, you know, like it's, it's also hard to say Texas Tech hasn't played anybody because Houston has Ed Oliver, who 
single-handedly can win games is a defensive tackle. So yeah. it, it's it's really hard to say, well, they haven't played anybody yet. Um, I, I think Oklahoma State's a better football team right now. I think that, that Texas Tech has been playing out of their mind on offense, but that Bowman is a true freshman is going to come back to us a little bit this weekend. I think so, too. I mean, Texas Tech's, you know, I mean, yeah, there was a good win over Houston last week. I'm not going to deny them that. That was a quality win. Uh, but their only other win is against Lamar. They got it handed to them by Ole Miss, and I definitely think Oklahoma State is better than Ole Miss. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I do think the Pokes win this game, and I think they win it by a couple touchdowns. But, uh, you know, I think Texas Tech is starting to find a rhythm and figure out some momentum. Yeah. That defense is just so bad. Yeah. So bad. All right, the last game, though, last game of the Big 12 slate this week, TCU heads to Austin to face Texas, 3.30 in the afternoon, on Fox. Who you got? You know, this this was a game that, that I had some concerns going into, and, and I think part of that is just being a browbeaten TCU fan and, and still getting used to having success over the Blue Blood programs in the state. Uh, it, it's hard for me to fathom as someone who – started their TCU football fandom with a team that went one and 11, that we are on the precipice of potentially beating the university of Texas for a fifth straight season. Uh, that's just a hard thing to believe, you know, for people that have been around this program for a while. So I can't imagine what it's, what it's like for the old heads, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that being said, TCU is a better football team in Texas right now. And I don't think that's a question mark. Uh, the weather can make things interesting. I think that Texas, like we said earlier, now looks at this as a rivalry, which which adds a different element to it. But at the end of the day, this is a game TCU has to win, and I don't worry about there being a hangover after Ohio State. I think that they'll be prepared and ready, and they'll come out and get it done. Uh, it's going to be an ugly, sloppy affair in the rain, so give me the Horn Frogs. I think 27-17 was my, was my pick in the picks. Um, I think it was my pick in the Q&A, so I'm going to stick with that. Uh, it's close early. TCU pulls away late. Uh, Texas makes... A little bit of a run to make the score respectable, but at the end of the day, TCU comes out with a W that they des- desperately needed to get coming off that Ohio State loss. Nice, I like it. I like that. Uh, you know, I this will be if TCU wins the longest winning streak in history against the Longhorns for the Frogs. Good Lord, That's which insane. means that in the same season, TCU will have set new records for winning streaks against SMU and Texas, which wow. is pretty cool. Um, obviously that hasn't happened yet. They've still got to actually go out and win the game, um, which won't be a gimme because I do think that Texas is turning ever so slightly in the right direction. Uh, and that can't be, um, uh, you know, forgotten. You know, I've been saying all year, you can vouch for this. I, I have been saying all year that I'm not going to pick Texas until they show me something. Sure. And I'm not picking Texas this week, but they did show me a little bit against USC. Last weekend, I, I yeah. do want to give them some credit for that win because, you know, it's easy in a game like that to come out too hyped up and to make mistakes, which they did. Uh, and then they settled down and they really just asserted themselves as the better of those two teams for three quarters. Yeah. Um, and so I'm excited. I do think TCU wins this game. I think they win it a little more handily uh, than what you said. You know, Texas hasn't scored more than 10 points in this four-game losing streak for the one. Uh, and TCU has won by an average of about 30 points. Wow. So, you know, I give me TCU 35, Texas 7. Wow. So I think it's going to continue. I, you know, te- I don't see enough from Texas yet to make this really, uh, to, to see this as really a challenge. I think that you couple uh, the 
the fact that the frogs are coming off of a loss that they feel they gave away uh, and they want to prove a little bit. They've just been hurt. They've just been told that they are rejects because they didn't have offers from Texas. Uh, and I think all of that just adds enough fuel to the fire for the frogs to come out and assert themselves early, take this game and put it out of reach by the third quarter, uh, and then just defensively turn up the heat on Sam Ellinger and really force him into some bad mistakes. Well, there you have it, folks. Yeah. Maybe that's too much, but that I'm, that's what I'm going with. Hey, you got you to gotta stick with your belief, man. Stick with your gut. I'm I hope trying. so. I will be A-okay with that result, just FYI. Oh, yeah, me fine. too. Um, there are a couple other big games that we should probably just point out really quickly. Uh, Alabama is actually favored by 26 points over Texas A&M. Okay. Does Texas A&M cover slash do they win outright? Uh, cover, yes, win outright. Oh, hell no. I think no and no to both of those things. All I think right. Alabama wins by more than four touchdowns. All right. Uh, moving right along to the next game that I scrolled through and now I'm, I've lost. Uh, we'll stop at this one. Mississippi State is going to Kentucky. This is a fascinating game. It's a really no interesting has, game. No one has, literally no one has ever said that ever about Mississippi State, Kentucky. Uh, you know, Kentucky is not a joke of a football program right now. Uh, they're pretty good. And Mississippi State is a really, really veteran team that's trying to prove that they can be elite. Uh, I think that Mississippi State wins, but I think that Kentucky keeps them on the ropes the entire time. Uh, yeah, I think Mississippi State is actually really good this year. I don't think it's a close game. I think they thumped Kentucky. I was just saying that because I couldn't find the game that I was actually looking for, uh, which is uh, your second favorite school, Stanford, against Oregon. They're going to Eugene. It's game day. It's on ABC at 7 o'clock at night. Um, who do you have as Tree goes up against Duck? Uh, my brother-in-law and sister are heading up to the game to experience that in person. There's no way that Bryce Love doesn't, doesn't bring them back a W. So he sat out last week with a undisclosed injury, rumors of a potential concussion, but that's not been, uh, proven. It's neither here nor there. He's back. Uh, Oregon is, is getting close to being really good again. They're not there yet. I think Stanford is able to control the tempo of this game, uh, to control the ball. Bryce Love has a big night. Uh, Stanford scores just enough to edge out the Ducks. You're not going to like me for this. Oh, come on, man. I really like Justin Herbert. Yeah, he's great. That kid can ball out, and I don't think that Stanford has seen an offense like Oregon's yet this season. Now, Mm -hmm. the Ducks struggled a little bit last week against San Jose State, and that can't be overlooked. Uh, I would not be surprised at all if Stanford wins this game. I'm kind of almost expecting them to, but I really do think that Oregon State can pull out a win if they play a flawless game. Uh, and I think that they, you know, it's game day. Their fans are going to be absolutely nuts. That stadium often just gets crazy when those people are loud. Sure. Uh, and Stanford has struggled in that stadium before. And so I think that the Oregon Duck magic comes out to play a little bit on Saturday night and that the Ducks pull off the upset. Yeah, I think it'll be a really fun game. That's the one I'll be listening to on my way home from Austin for sure. The last one uh, is an interesting matchup because it's head coach Herm Edwards against head coach Chris Peterson as Washington tries to continue to hold on to a top 10 ranking somehow. Uh, and Arizona State looks to bounce back from a really disappointing loss against San Diego State. Who do you have on that late night West Coast matchup? I completely and totally miss the first team that you said. Oh, my God. It's Arizona State and Washington. Oh, God. Yes, Arizona State and Washington. 
I mean, I'm sorry. It's like, it's been a week, folks. Uh, I have Washington. I am, you know, the biggest, uh, the biggest person on the, I don't think Washington is very good, uh, bandwagon train. And while Herm Edwards is, is, I mean, it's gotta be the story of the year uh, from a coaching standpoint so far through, mm-hmm. through three games of the season. Um, I, I think Chris Peterson is, is going to remind him that, that he, he took a year off or two years off or whatever from, from coaching football and, and is going to have a little something up his sleeve. So I think Washington gets it done. Um, I think we're, we're heading towards a really fun Washington Stanford showdown in the beginning of November, uh, that vying for that Pac 12 North crown and, and a chance to play for a Pac 12 championship. So I'm going to have both of those teams running the table, uh, in the Pac 12 until that point. Give me Arizona State. They've already beaten Woo! one top ranked team this year. They're going to beat right. another on Saturday night. It's going to be awesome. Excellent. Chaos, baby. Chaos. Chaos, baby. Make it happen. Oh, yeah. And with that, Melissa, this has been this week's episode of the Frogs War podcast, a day late. But like we told you at the very beginning, a couple dollars ahead, actually. If you could, people, please, please, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Follow us on Podbean or wherever you can find your podcast, wherever you subscribe. We are probably there. And if we're not, tell me so that we can be there. Um, we love doing this for y'all because we're TCU fans just like you. So let's all support each other in this endeavor. Absolutely. Let's support each other. Let's support our frogs. Let's hope that somehow that rain misses uh, Austin and that the frogs get to play on a clean field and let that offense have a chance to shine. Heck yeah. And with that, I'm Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Chewbosser. Go frogs. Go frogs. Go frogs.